Isaiah chapter 52 and uh, verse number 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13, and this is what uh, God says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes makes intercession for the transgressors. It's a big chapter, isn't it? It's a big chapter in your Bible, Isaiah 53. But what's it all about? I remember uh, being in a shopping center in Hong Kong, uh, and there was something going on. Uh, I didn't know the language, and so I didn't understand what people were saying, but there was an air of expectancy that I could tell from the scene and from the body language. As more and more people gathered in, there was, there was suddenly something of a crescendo of oohs and ahs. Uh, the person they were expecting had arrived. He was a celebrity, for sure. People were doing that thing they do with celebrities. 
posing for photos, touching his arm, getting autographs. I imagined uh, that he was a TV or movie star in Hong Kong, but I personally hadn't a clue who he was, and I still don't. God's people in the Old Testament had been expecting someone. He was known as God's servant. But they were not left in the dark uh, about him. They were given uh, something to look for, uh, something to look out for, written down in scripture, so they could recognize him when he arrived. In the book of Isaiah, we have four songs written in his expectation. They're called the servant songs. Listen to the first one in Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the man they should expect. The Lord's servant. And he would be God's man, wouldn't he? He would be God's servant. He would be the one who he upholds, God says, or strengthens. The one that God would strengthen. He would be God's chosen. He would be the one that God would delight in, we read. He would be a spirit-filled man. God would put his spirit upon him. And he would be a gentle man. He would not be hard-nosed or harsh. He would not uh, break a bruised reed we read. Or he would not snuff out a, a, a faintly burning wick. He would, be a, he would be gentle with people. Think of, of Dean Ortland's very helpful book, Gentle and Lowly. He'd be, he'd be like that. He would also be a man of justice. He would not be a weakling. He would not be a walkover or a yes man. No, no, he would, he would rule the nations, we're told. And justly so. Uh, so he has, he has power, authority to bring justice to those nations. Authority to establish justice in the earth and in the coastlands. Everywhere, in other words. So in summary, the man that Israel could be expecting would be marked by these things. He would be, he would be, he would be marked by servanthood. He would be marked by godliness. He would be spirit-filled. He would be marked by gentleness. He would be marked by ruling authority. And he would be marked by justice. That's what they should expect. That's what they should look for. But when we come to the most famous of Isaiah's servant songs, we find that he is the victim of anything but justice himself. As we consider, first of all, injustice. Tonight, there's no justice for God's servant in this harrowing of harrowing chapters in your Bible. Here is a man who, we're told, was despised and rejected by men. He was a man very familiar with grief and sorrow, we're told. He, he was called man of sorrows, no less. And again, at the end of verse 3, just in case we're in any doubt, we're told that he's, he was despised for the second time. He was one of those people that people hide their faces from. You see him across the street and you cross over and you hide your face from him. Listen to the words uh, of violence used in this chapter. Marred, wounded, crushed, chastisement, cut off, stricken, smitten, stripes, slaughter. All the words of violence. Did you hear it? 
This was one numbered with the transgressors, we're told. This was one buried indeed with the wicked, we were told. But maybe rightly so. Maybe rightly so that he was numbered with the transgressors and buried with the wicked. Maybe that's right, because perhaps this was, this was his comeuppance. Perhaps, to, I mean, clearly, this must have been an awful piece of humanity that we read about. A Harold Shipman or a Salman Abedi, a general ordering the killing of, of children in an apartment block type of humanity, a piece of humanity that no one likes and is, everyone is disgusted by. Is that what we're talking about? No. This is no horrible piece of humanity. This is the Lord's servant. This is the one they've been waiting for. This is the most innocent of men. Verse 9 makes it clear. All this violence is meted out on him, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. All that violence, all those words, all those endless words of violence, and, and he himself had done no violence. This was not punishment that fits the crime. This was punishment for no crime. He is innocent in action, and he's also innocent in words. You see it there? He didn't even vent. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. He's just like a little lamb. Which, of course, he is from the story of the Passover in Exodus, which we talked about a few weeks ago. So in addition to all those words that we used at the beginning that describe what you were to expect in the Lord's servant, we have to add innocent victim. An innocent victim facing horrendous injustice and violence. He was God's man. A spirit-filled man. A gentle man. A just man. He would rule the earth. A ruling man. But he was himself not given justice. Quite the opposite. Secondly, purpose. When someone's done something wrong, it's often important to establish whether or not they did it on purpose. Did you mean to kick your sister in the head? You get the idea, don't you? Did you mean to mislead Parliament? You get the idea, don't you? Because, of course, the difference between first, second uh, degree murder and manslaughter is, it's somewhat complicated. I don't expect to give you the, the full understanding of it. I don't have it myself. But it essentially comes down to your intention and the length of time that intention was present in you. Was it intended? Was it intended just in the moment or was it intended before the moment? That's the, the gist of it. When it comes down to which of the three of those murders you have committed. And I hope that never comes to you. But even a casual reading of, of Isaiah 53 makes it very clear, doesn't it, that there was premeditation here. The servant, when he comes, he's going to suffer. It's written down here. It's in the annals of history before it comes to be. It's there for all to see in Scripture. It's no accident, in other words. It's planned. And it's been planned for a very long time. 700 years before and we could go further. For we could point out the very purposeful language that's used. Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now that's telling, isn't it? 
You can't say it was an accident. You can't say it was sort of, you know, just kind of had to be because of the circumstance. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. But why? Why was God so harsh on his servant? So premeditated about this? To to humiliate his servant like this? Why treat his chosen one like this? Why would he want such injustice to be meted out on, on the one filled with his spirit? Why would that be? Why would the Lord lay on him the iniquity of us all? And of course, here we come to see the nub of the issue. Because this is not just meaningless suffering. Something we call out all the time in our world, by the way. We say, where was the need for that? We say, this, this happened because of this, and there's no need for that to have happened. And those poor innocents are suffering. That's what we say, isn't it? Wrong place, wrong time. He just happened to get it, and it's not his fault, and he's innocent, and it's awful, and we call it out all the time, don't we? This is not a suffering servant who shows us how to, to, to bear on whatever comes our way in life, to sort of stay the course, to battle on as a strong modern woman or a strong man who leads his home. No, no that's not what this is about. This is not just the story of an innocent man who's the victim of terrible injustice or accident or was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's, it's not that. No, no, no. This is the story of a suffering servant who steps in for others as a substitute, as a scapegoat, which of course we saw the other night as well. Because he's done no wrong, it's very clear. He's not a bad word, he doesn't have a bad thought. He, he, he has premeditated no evil against anyone. He, he's stolen nothing, he's spoken ill of no one, he's copied no one's exam paper, he's never lied to protect his own skin, he's never shoved his brother out of the way or never uh, stretched the truth to impress people. He, he's never, he, he, he meant what he said and he, and he always said what he meant. But he's suffering. And cruelly and severely so. For of course this is not the case for the rest of us, is it? For the iniquity of us all tells us the very real purpose for this suffering. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was stricken for the transgressions of my people, it says. Because there's a direct link, isn't there, between between us and his suffering. A a cause and effect link. Uh, We sin, he suffers. That's the idea. And of course, the words for sin in this chapter are very, very sobering, aren't they, when you think about it? Transgressions, chastisement, his own way, guilt, words for sin. They remind us, don't they, that, that, that white lies, well, that's not a valid statement. They remind us that, that everyone does it is not a valid excuse. Sin is sin is sin. It sent Jesus to the cross, all of it. And he suffers for white lies and libel and murder and theft and tax evasion and gossip and disingenuous words. He suffers for that. But also notice that the servant here takes from us things that aren't usually placed in sin categories. Think about grief and sorrow, and healing. Those are not usually, those do not usually belong in sin categories, do they? 
Those, those, those things belong in categories of, of victim or, or hurting people. They, don't, don't they? Isn't that right? Grief and sorrow and healing. Because that, that, of course, deepens this, but doesn't actually fundamentally change it. Because sin should cause us grief. It should cause us sorrow as Christians. It should. And, and, and we do need healing from it. Its consequences are far-reaching, for it, it cuts deep in us, really deep. But you could also say that, that sin is the reason for grief, when, it, when a loved one dies, not because they were a really bad sinner. It's not about their, their place on the league table of sinners, if there were such a table. It's more the sense of, of sin in the world in general, isn't it? That's the reason for death, the reason for grief and sorrow, the reason for sickness is sin. The world is broken, and we're, we're, we're sinners living in a broken world, and we're contributing, aren't we? There's purpose. In all of this suffering. No accident. There's reason for it. The man on the cross. This Easter message. It tells us the reason. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. For it was the chastisement upon him that brought us peace. It was the chastisement upon him that brought us peace. It was his stripes that brought us healing. Now you could take. This, these the wrong way. Uh, peace, you know, you could, you could talk about peace and think that that would mean peace in, in the nation. Healing, of course, you could take that to mean healing from sickness. And, and some do stretch those things today even. And of course, it's true that these things are coming, but, but not immediately. Uh, the people in Jesus' day made this kind of mistake on, on Palm Sunday, some of them. They, they saw him ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and, and they said, yes, the son of David's here. He's the new David, the, the new king, Hosanna. It'll be the end of those terrible pagan Romans. It'll be peace and prosperity for us now. The disciples even said the same thing in Acts chapter 1, as he's about to ascend heaven. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because, of course, they remember the servant song number one, which we read. He'll rule with justice and gentleness and strength. And servant song number two in Isaiah 49, bring back the preserved of Israel, it says. He's going to be a light to the nations. Hang on. Hang on. That sounds more than just a national king. Sounds more international. Light to the nations. And then we get to servant song number three in Isaiah 50. And, 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 and then it tells us that he's going to be spat upon. He's going to have his, the, the hair from his beard pulled. He, he, he's going to set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem because he knows that there's suffering coming. Lots of suffering. And then we come to that famous fourth servant song that we read. And what God's people can expect is going to be one who, who suffers and bears the iniquities of all of them. And all of those in the nations who will likewise believe. And he'll be a sufferer. He'll be a suffering servant. For God has in his plans and purposes made this way. A way to peace with God. That's the peace. An end to our, our hostility. Our going astray like sheep. Our premeditated going our own way like sheep. A way to healing of the greatest wound that we have. The curse of sin that's deeper than any other wound. 
and cuts deeper and more long-lasting than any sickness you can imagine. Bill and Sharon James are coming next weekend to, to speak at our church weekend, and I'm, I'm excited for you to meet them finally, I trust. We've had a few false uh, goes at that. But I've been thinking about uh, this week about my time in England with, with Bill, as you do sometimes when you look forward to something. And people uh, used, to, used to ring the, uh, the church phone whenever we were uh, in, the, in, the, in the study in the church in, in Lamington. And when I would answer it and they would say, would it be possible to speak to the vicar, please? So they would say, vicar. It's an interesting word, isn't it? We don't use it. It's a Church of England, Church of Ireland type Anglican word. But, but it does actually come very importantly from this passage. Because vicar is the word that relates to vicarious. Vicar is a, relates to is that kind of word group that means one for another. Suffering for another. That's his purpose. The suffering servant. He's a servant that suffers for another. He's a vicar. That's what he is. That's his purpose. And then that's something they should look for in, in, in the expected man. All those things, plus the victim of injustice, plus one who's going to purposely suffer for another. And finally, I want you to see that it's enough tonight. I want you to see the success of the suffering servant here in Isaiah 53. Because in his suffering, he, he does enough. He serves in the way he came to serve. He, he gives of himself fully to the task, and he completes it. Verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. When he dies on the middle cross, God the Father is satisfied with the servant. And here we're told that the servant is satisfied. And look what happens. Many are accounted righteous. You'll remember that, won't you? What's, what's, that, what's that term that we talked about on Sunday nights and the big words? They're counted righteous. They're not really righteous. They're, they're never, uh, they've never been righteous because of themselves, but they're counted as righteous. It's, it's imputation, isn't it? You remember? God counts us as righteous because of Jesus' death. Many are counted righteous. All who receive his forgiveness as a gift are counted righteous. Hebrews 2 verse 10, it's on the screen, says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing, bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. How can Jesus be made perfect? Surely he was perfect. Yes. But what the author here in Hebrews is saying is that Jesus the man grew in his maturity and experience of relationship with his father. He lived to obey him. And so in his death, he becomes that perfect sacrifice for sins. The servant is God's man. And he's the God man. At the end of verse 10, we're told that God will see his offspring. All those who would believe are his offspring. He's bringing many sons to glory. That's the idea, isn't it? He will prolong his days, we read. He won't stay dead. He's going to prolong his days. And you know what? On Easter Sunday, he prolonged his days and he rose from the grave. 
And we know that his coming back shows that what happened was enough, was sufficient, was acceptable to God the Father. Luke writes in Acts 2 verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, for it was not possible for him to be held by it. And this is what 1 Timothy 3.16 means when Paul writes that he was vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit vindicates him by, because we know that God accepts his, his sacrifice because by raising him from the dead. It's enough. It's accepted. It's perfect. He won. Brothers and sisters, don't underplay what Jesus did. Don't lose it in too many Easter's reducing its significance for you or repeated visits to the Lord's Supper numbing it for you because that shouldn't be the way it should be. It should be the other way. It should be, it should be increasing. The more Easter's you have, the better it is. The more Lord's Supper visits, the better it is because, you're, because it's precious. More precious than the time before to hear of him, to contemplate Notice what it says about the human soul of Jesus in the last three verses with me just as we close. Verse 10, his soul makes an offering for guilt. He's the sacrifice. He's the offering for guilt. He's the greatest of all time sacrifices. He's the scapegoat, remember, to end all scapegoats. He's the lamb to end all lamb sacrificing. His soul makes an offering for guilt. He's that offering. He's that sacrifice. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see. Think about that for a moment. Think about, think about that with me. That The anguish of human Jesus, right? He's a real man, okay? Don't lose that. The pain, the heavy load, the anguish of his soul. It's what Isaiah 53 says. And then verse 12. Think about the human soul of Jesus. He poured out his soul to death. Poured out. That's powerful, isn't it? Think of a big container. Poured out to death. What did they need to look for in the Lord's servant? <clears throat> Servanthood, godliness, spirit-filled, gentleness, ruling authority, justice, but also a victim of violent injustice. An innocent man suffering. Suffering on purpose. This was no accident. This was no um, wrong place, wrong time. This was right place, right time. This was the purpose of leading many sons and daughters to glory. And this was enough because this sacrifice and this suffering was accepted. It was rubber stamped by his rising again. Uh, he was vindicated by the Spirit of God. And it was enough. On this Old Testament journey through the cross he bore. We've seen the, the Passover lamb that is Jesus. We've seen the scapegoat. That is the greatest of all time. Substitute. And here we've seen the suffering servant. Who is battered and bashed. And subjected to injustice and cruelty. But he's done it for us. That's what he's done for us. 
What's he doing for us now? It's there too. He's bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. He's by his spirit walking with us, carrying the load of life on planet earth. Whatever that load is for you right now, whatever it is, where it's good or ill, where it's smooth or rough sailing, he's carrying it with you, for you. What will he do for us? Well, that's, that's here too, isn't it? Because there's a part two to the suffering servant promises. Because we haven't seen all this yet. One day he'll return and in glory he'll reign over the world in peace and perfect justice. We haven't seen all that yet. When justice will be done and will be seen to be done. And, and of course his, uh, the many sons that he's brought with him, his, his, his servants will reign with him. All because... He's the suffering servant. All because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All because he's our Savior. And we've trusted in him. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we worship you tonight and give you thanks. For your plan of redemption. For what was accomplished on the middle tree. And in the, uh, in the tomb that is empty. And as the disciples waited around. And looked into the sky. As the, the risen Lord was ascended to, back to heaven. We praise you for the three parts of, of the uh, crucifixion. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And all that was accomplished in paying for our sins and giving us a reason to live and hope, a wonderful hope, in a world that lacks it every day of the week. Give us boldness and trust and come what may, resolute belief that you are at work in each of us, helping us and guiding us and instructing us in the way ahead. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.